Welcome, cricket fans, to the all-new Cricket Central podcast. The Ashes are over, but we're still here with you, or at least myself, Edwin Jarvis, and Pearson Lynch are here. We've got a big episode today as we go through the India versus South Africa test series that has just finished, and we've got a special guest with us here today, an expert on Indian cricket, Navod Sananayaka. Uh, welcome, Navod. Great to have you on the show. Thanks for having me. I'm not sure I'm an expert, but uh, I'll do my best. I'm also not sure on your pronunciation of Shrama. Yes, uh, as I, <laughs> I don't think I've ever pronounced right. your name before, so <laughs> apologies for that, Navod. Sananayaka, but, but good attempt, good attempt. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, it was the Zoom that uh, threw me off here, the name here. I just tried to pronounce it uh, phonetically and, uh, yeah, big mistake. But uh, anyway, moving on, we'll get on to the South Africa and India series. All the, the fallout from that, uh, what are the takeaways for India, uh, for South Africa, an historic win against the odds in many ways. Uh, we'll discuss that. Uh, but first off, as uh, will come to be a tradition here on the podcast, we'll start off just with asking uh, what's uh, caught your attention in the last week? What what news in the world of cricket uh, do you have to bring to the table, uh, Pearson? Uh, we'll start with you. Well, of course, I'm I'm English biased on this one. I'm always the English voice on here. But of course, it has to be the England West Indies series. So I, I well, it's been an interesting one so far. I mean, it's it's close. It's closer than I hoped it would be. Generally speaking we get very mixed results. I mean, it is T20 after all, so the format is relatively volatile. But as an England fan, you expect your white ball team to win fairly often. I think we, we've performed to an average standard. This is pretty much our second 11. We are quite heavily ravaged by injury, so I'm not hugely disappointed by it, but I, I do hope we can come back and perform better. We also saw one of the great random hundreds in T20 cricket from Rodman Powell, something that I will 100% forget in 20 years' time on a wisdom cricket quiz about West Indian hundreds. But it's, it was an excellent three games. I look forward to the next two. I'm only disappointed that the scheduling has led to a scenario where everyone goes home for a month and then has to come back in March for the test series, which is, at least for me, the pinnacle of this series, that hopefully we can stop the momentum that was created in Australia where we can't stop losing. We'll find out. The West Indies up 2-1 up in that five-match series. Uh, just quickly, in the second T20, we had what you described to me as the strangest one-run victory ever uh, with, you know, some bottom-order players, uh, Romario Shepard, 44 of 28, and Akal Hossein, 44 of 16. I just quickly explain what happened in that game. It was a little bizarre. It, it's, it was, as, as I said the other day, it was one of the weirder close games you'll see. Because at no point did the West Indies ever really look like having a chance in the game. Of course, they needed 61 off the last three overs and 30 off the last over. And incredibly, they hit 28 runs off Sakit Mahmood in that last over to only lose by one run. I must admit, I've not seen something like that before. There will be some controversy around it because there was one delivery in that last over from Mahmood that probably deserved to be given a wide but wasn't because of just they didn't think there'd be any real repercussion to it. In the same way, earlier on in the innings, Romario Shepard, who was at the other end in the final over, neglected to take singles, which meant that his batting partner couldn't get that extra run they needed to get the, at least a tie in a super over. It was, it was a fascinating game. We were a lot better in that game than we were in the first game. I think if there's anything we have seen, it's that our... Spinners are excellent, and Reese Topley out of nowhere has started to perform well. A player who, particularly from the VOD, is much maligned among a lot of my cricketing friends. So it was good to see him do well, but unfortunately, no one else was really able to carry the mental. There is a chance now that we've found an extra seamer for the T20 World Cup. It was a weird game that we just held on to, but I'll take a win. It means the series is still alive when it otherwise might not have been. You definitely wouldn't have predicted Topley's form uh, from how he was going in the Big Bash League. But uh, anyway, on to you, Navad. Uh, what's taken your interest? Uh, yeah, definitely the uh, Sri Lanka squad for the Australia-Sri Lanka T20s. Um, that'll be played uh, next month, actually. So coming up pretty fast. 
Um, we've got, you know, pretty much the usual uh, names from the World Cup squad. Um, so people like Shanika as our captain, I think he's done really well during the World Cup um, and, and during our recent series against Zimbabwe. Uh, Asalanka and Nisanka, really good bats. I, they have a lot of potential and I think they've, they've done really well in the World Cup. So I think they'll, hopefully they'll continue their trajectory and, and do really well. Uh, Chamka Karnaratna, really good bowler, very decent ec- uh, economy at the depth um, and is a good finisher with the bats. So there's another positive. Um, of course, can't talk about Sri Lanka without talking about Hasaranga. He's the number one T20 bowler in the world, according to the ICC rankings, 52 wickets uh, with a strike rate of 13.2, not to mention he's a fantastic fielder and a decent batter. So lot going for him. I hope he really does well this series. It'll be interesting to see how he does in Australian um, conditions. Uh, we've also got Chimera, another great pace bowler um, for us, uh, as well as Lahu Kumara. Both can bowl in the 140s, 145s. Um, both of them, they're pretty good, but they lack a bit of consistency, especially Chimera. Uh, he bowls one really good over, then one, the next over will be a bit shaky, some loose balls here and there. Um, and it just repeats like that in a cycle. Kumara, we all know the, uh, the T20 blunder in the World Cup against um, South Africa, where he didn't get the line and lengths right. I think the pressure built up a bit. Um, and yeah, he just basically gave up free, uh, free runs for South Africa to get that win. So he has the talent and he's got the potential, but he's just got to work on those line and lengths uh, to be really effective. He's got the pace to be threatening. Uh, and then finally, we've got uh, Thikshana as our mystery spin. Um, fantastic debut. He's only debuted last year, 10 games, uh, and he's already taken nine wickets with a bowling average of 25. So really looking forward. Our spin is really strong. Like, I, I think we've, we'll do really well um, against Australia. Well, I, I, I'll, I'll respond rather than Ted, just in case. <laughs> I have a few more questions to interrogate Nabot on. I must say, it gives a very glowing endorsement of a side who have become specialists in losing over the last couple of years, but I'll, I'll, I'll take it. Uh, <laughs> so I saw, I know Gunatilika and Kusal Mendes both returned to the side, I believe after a ban that stretches back to June on their tour of England. Do you think they'll immediately get back in the side? Will there be time? And why is Dick Weller not there, if you know? Yeah, interesting stuff. So I was actually really surprised that Dick Weller was in the squad. Uh, Mendes has actually played, so he is back and he's playing. He played um, our ODI series against Zimbabwe um, and he's played in the Lanka Premier League that just finished uh, in, I think, December, November. Someone can fact check me on that. But um, he, he did actually quite well in the Lanka Premier League, but that was against probably not as class international bowling as um, you would expect from Australia. So whether, he's, whether he'll do well is another question. I'd probably, I probably would have had Dick Weller instead of uh, Mendes there. But uh, that, this is the squad, so yeah, nothing we can do about that. Yeah, that's fair enough. Is there anyone that was a surprise in selection beyond the band players? Or is it all pretty much as expected for a Sri Lankan squad? Yeah, pretty much everything I expected. Um, yeah, we've got three uncapped players as well. So I guess those are the unexpected surprises, but I think they'll do well. They've done well in the uh, Lanka Premier League. Um, so, and they've got good local stats as well. So that's- you're, 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 missing, you're missing someone for being fat or something, aren't you? You can clarify. Uh, yes, it. yeah. So Barnika Rajapaksha. Um, so Sri Lanka's recently, the board has recently tightened up on their fitness uh, and specifically the skinfold tests. Um, and I think, I'm not sure it was just because he didn't want to do the extra fitness requirements. Um, my, my theory, I guess, is that he didn't really like the sudden changes that the board were having. Um, he's had a history of arguing with the board. So yeah, that's a whole different conversation, but uh, he actually retired briefly and then came back but uh, he's not, he, because of that retirement, I, I think that's why he's not included in this squad. It is a shame because he, he was really, really good bat. He showed that uh, during the World Cup, uh, during the T10 League and during the um, Lanka Premier League, he, he, he's shown that he can bat and bat really well. 
Okay. Actually, I'll ask you, Ted, since you're also here, on a matter of principle, because we had a similar issue in which Ollie Robinson refused to take a skinfold test to measure body weight, and he refused to take it and claimed that it was fat shaming to make him take it. In the same way, we then have uh, Banakaraja Paska, I believe I've pronounced his name right. <laughs> Correct me if I'm wrong, Navar. And he's obviously neglected to do it under a slightly different pretense, under the idea that he would have a worse power hitting record at the end of the innings without the extra weight. Do you think, Ted, as a matter of principle, that players should be allowed to refuse such tests or should the board stick to their guns and say, no, you can't get selected after failing a test like this or refusing to take it? Well, I think it's perfectly legitimate to demand that they take the tests. I would be a bit concerned if, you know, they were dropping someone just off not having a certain skinfold level. I don't know much about the skinfold test, but, um, uh, you know, but if it's as a measure for, you know, working out fitness and that, and if they say the fitness isn't good enough as it potentially isn't with Ollie Robinson, I think it's all right. But, and you know, you would think that we would just take the test. It's not a huge deal. It's not like, you know, yeah, exactly. it's not like it's going to change your life. So it's interesting interesting one there but uh, Navarre... that, was, that was my issue yeah that was my issue with it as well I I thought retiring was just a sort of a too radical move to do just yeah, take the test and, and it's not like he's that unfit I've seen him play like he can run between the wickets he can he, he can take quick singles he's not an unfit player he took a brilliant catch in the T20 World Cup as well he, he's got the ability I'm not sure why I, that's why I, I I'm thinking he's got some issue with the board and something like that. He's had a history of that in the past, um, especially with now uh, retired Nicky Arthur, uh, not retired, but retired from Sri Lanka cricket. Um, so he had a few issues there, but they sorted it out, thankfully. Um, so I, that's why I think it's something to do with the board, but yeah, a bit rash uh, to not take that um, skinfold test. I will just mention before, I'll allow you to move on, but I will just mention he is only 30. So in theory, he has another five plus years of cricket left in him but it, it, it comes to me at least it comes down to a question of is it right to do this or should there be fitness standards imposed by sides because of course and we will come to India later today one of the big parts of Kohli's captaincy was his ability to enforce greater fitness standards possibly failing a skimfold test and allowing that to occur is a sign from the board and whoever is managing Sri Lankan cricket that they're allowing standards to slip to a level that the top sides being India, England, New Zealand, Australia wouldn't allow. But it's an interesting question to bring up, I think. We might have to get to that another time, whether you know fitness is a factor in, in Sri Lanka's uh, performances. Uh, we also might have to, to get a few photos of this guy out on our socials and ask on a poll you know, whether he's unfit or not. That might be something good to do. Um, but it's good to see that you're optimistic of Sri Lanka's chances. Uh, for Australia, just quickly, a few changes also. Uh, McDermott, Head Richardson and Enriquez coming in. David Warner is out of the squad um, after the World Cup. McDermott in particular, it'll be interesting to see how he goes after getting um, player of the series in the BBL. And that brings me on to my story of the week. It, it seems like it's always my responsibility on this podcast to try and put in a good word for the much maligned Big Bash League. Uh, Pearson is not, not a fan of it at all. But uh, Pearson, finally, in the final few games of, of the season, uh, it, they've started producing interesting finishes, at least. I know you were at one of them. Uh, the knockout and the challenger both going to the final over uh, in the past week. Uh, in the knockout, which you were at, the strikers beat the Thunder. Um, one of your favourites again, Ian Cobain, 65 um <laughs> he's uh cheering here right we just tell everyone that um not sure why why just quickly why is he such a favorite of yours Pearson? he's well in an entirely superfluous point he is the first professional cricketer to ever follow requests me on instagram so i take that as a sign that he respects my cricketing knowledge i mean i know there's absolutely nothing to that but i'll take what i can get from a professional cricketer he also scores runs and plays for a county that I have some time for in Gloucestershire. And he's performed well for Adelaide, so I'm quite happy with him at the minute. I will like any Englishman that scores runs, because after six weeks of Ashes cricket, where none of them did, 
it's a great feat to see someone pass 50 regularly. Well, I think we can take that as an acclamation of our successor with Ashes Central and Sports Central, actually. Yeah. But uh, the real star of the show was Conway um, in the bowling for the strikers, two for 33, only allowing six of the final over. Um, did a great job, but another great entertainer. Also, just quickly on this match, uh, there was a bit of controversy, as there was in the final match. Uh, Fawad Ahmed catch to dismiss um, Usman Khawaja. It was kind of, I'm sure you all saw it, but it, it almost looked like he dropped it on, on replays. It looked like it hit the ground as he was catching it, but it was called out. Uh, Navod, just quickly, out or not out? I think that was out. My basis for this was actually, it goes back to um, 29, I believe this is 2019 Ashes, Joe Root's catch of Labuschagne. That looked like that was not out, but it's given out. I think, yeah, his fingers, it, it didn't really, it was really hard to see on the camera angle, but I think his fingers were just under that ball. So I think I, I was giving that out. And Pearson, you say benefit of the doubt to the fielder? Yeah, I second this. It always looks more not out than it is on slow-mo replays, I find. And yeah, as Navod said, if something goes in Joe Root's favour, then it deserves to be made into law. So I'm fine with that. I think definitely out. I think it was close. I mean, it clearly was close. And it did arguably have a defining fact. It was a defining fact to the end result of the game. But I, I thought fair catch. It would be very harsh, particularly when soft signal was out to overturn it. And I think benefit of the doubt, same with no balls, like we saw with Chris Wokes in Hobart, which I'm still not over. I'm not giving out Alex Carey on a front foot no ball. But I think benefit of the doubt should always go to the fielder in a situation as inconclusive as that. So I think the right decision was made, despite any controversy that accompanied it. Yeah, I was maybe a bit critical, but a bit more critical of it. But I just think um, the fact that there is such thing as like an umpire's call in that situation is a bit ridiculous because the umpire can't really, probably got the worst angle out of almost anyone um, to see if it's out or not. But uh, yeah, in a, in a future podcast, I would like to ask the question of whether soft signal deserves to exist. And even things like umpire's call, there's a whole podcast to be had on the nature of modern umpiring and how much tech should play a role. If there's yeah. no cricket one week, we'll have to get into that. But yeah, it's, it's yeah. a very interesting question. Yeah, I stay away from DRS now. I confuse myself with the technicalities of it all too many times before. Uh, but in the, the second final, the, the challenger was even more dramatic match. We, we had a collapse early on for the strikers, then 62 for Wells, got them to a fairly good score. You thought they would probably win against a very depleted Sydney. Steve Smith not able to play another topic uh, altogether. We'll maybe move on from that one. But uh, an incredible 98 um, from Hayden Kerr. Got the win for the Sixers in the end. He was put down twice. Um, and in the final over, six, two, and four in the last three balls to get the win. But the controversy came. Uh, Jordan Silk subbed off with one ball to go um, with, an, with an injury, despite you know him being brought on originally uh, and not really having any active thing that happened which caused him to go off you know in the rules but is this uh, against the spirit of the game Navad? yeah i think it is um i mean the injury rules are fair enough i understand that they exist and i think it's very important that they exist but something like that the, the sixers could have managed it better i think they knew he wasn't completely fit to play this game and just bringing him on and then taking him off pretty much immediately was just a bit careless, I thought. Um, yeah, I thought they they just handled that much better than they did. And Pearson? I, I don't know. I'm still undecided on this one. Because it would have been much more of a controversy had they not misfielded the last ball, went for four and nullified the ability of the runner. But I think there is probably a question of the spirit of the game that comes into this. It is slightly unfair, although at the same time, they are well within their rights to do this. And I think it was arguably quelled as a controversy by the fact that the Adelaide Strikers head coach, Jason Gillespie, came out and said, I think it's absolutely fine. If I were in that position, I would have done the same. And if I were asking myself, if I were coach in that situation, would I take off the field that batsman? And 100% I would. Whether it's the right or the wrong decision morally 
I think is definitely debatable, but I think it's the logical call to make. This is a semi-final of a major franchise tournament. We're not playing Saturday morning B-grade under-16 cricket here. There is a bit more at stake. So I think the coach taking the pragmatic option rather than the idealist option was probably the way to go, regardless of it being right or wrong. Yeah, I, I sort of thought the same. It was one of those ones I was up in arms at first, but then you think about it and yeah, you know, exactly. it's not a huge deal, um, especially in a T20 match. We like drama in T20s. The spirit of the game can go out the window, you know. It's a bit different to a test match. Um, now, as we as we record this podcast, we're in the middle of the final. Uh, the Scorchers are currently four for 129, but you never know. By the end, depending on how long you guys talk for, we may be able to report on, on the end of it. But... Uh, yeah, Scorchers, you know, it looks pretty even at the moment. Eight runs and over. We'll get to that later on. Now, on to the South Africa versus India series. I'll just set the scene a little bit before we get into um, the specifics. Uh, coming into the series, South Africa had lost eight tests. Oh, had In their last eight test series, had only won three of them and only won eight tests out of their last 20. Um, all sorts of dramas coming in. There was a report in December uh, alleging racism uh, in in the team going back to the time of De Villiers and, and Graham Smith. Uh, before that, you had had players like Rousseau and Abbott leaving for England. Much talk about you know the fall of South African cricket. Right on the eve of the series, you had um, you know arguably one of their best batsmen and their wicketkeeper De Toc uh, retiring. Um, and now I, I'm going to mess up the pronunciation of this one either, but. Um, Nortier uh, or something like that. Him also out. Nortier, yeah. Nortier. TJ is pronounced like a K. Yeah. Nortier, yes. Yeah. It is a weird one, but the one yes. I have a Sri Lankan friend. I mean, not Sri Lankan, a South African friend who is eager to correct us on this one. Yeah, wow. Amrich Nortier. His name Very is. good. Apologies again there, but yeah, he out. He was out for the series. Also, so they're definitely behind the eight ball. India, on the other hand. Um, had only lost eight tests out of their last 29. They were the number one test team at the time. Um, and I think uh, you wouldn't have really even expected a very, you know, maybe a close series because they're at home, but uh, most certainly no, you know, very few would have expected a South Africa win. Uh, and it almost sort of looked that way that it was going to be a fairly easy India win after Centurion, despite South Africa performing well at times. KL Rahul um, with an imperious 123. But then things turned on their head dramatically in the final two, South Africa winning both of them um, and India sort of imploding. Uh, we'll, we'll get to that in a second. But first of all, uh, for you guys, for a great series, number one. Uh, and two, what was kind of the, the one, the main difference uh, just to, to start things off? Um, Navod, I know you've done a lot of research on this one. Uh, just, just quickly, before we get into specifics, one kind of broad difference uh, that gave South Africa the, the win. Um, look, I, I think it's mainly to do with India's, you know, sudden poor form. Like, we weren't expecting this sort of poor form from India. I don't think it's a gradual decline in form. I think it's just a sudden, probably, you could almost call it cricket fatigue. They've played so much cricket in the last 12 months, tests with England, then IPL, and then straight after the World Cup. We saw they really struggled in the World Cup, even though it was pretty much identical. Um, it was the, the same pitches as they did in the IPL, and they just really struggled for some reason. And I think they've just played so much. They've just got to take a break and sort of reset their mind just, to, just back to the basics, really. Um, I think the main difference between South Africa and India was uh, India's middle order is pretty weak. Like no attacking players, um, no real wicket taking threats either in their side. Um, and obviously with the uh, with Rohit Sharma being injured, they definitely struggled a lot. Um, but then again, considering he's 34, he's quite old now, he's getting old. Um, as much as I hate to say it, I'm a big Rohit Sharma fan, but he's getting quite old. and. India really needs to look for a potential long-term replacement as an opener. They're extremely dependent on him, but you, they won't be able to depend on him. He's, he's going to retire soon, I reckon. Um, <laughs> and Rahul, um, speaking about the ODIs, uh, Rahul had a good knock, but otherwise an opener, he didn't really perform. And I think that's where South Africa um, just were much better. Um, 
they performed much better than yeah, with, with, in terms of the uh, openers uh, and the middle order. Indeed. Uh, but it was also their, their bowlers also um, who were pretty impressive. Uh, the young crop coming through, just going by the stats, South Africa um, took 59 wickets at an average of 20.1, while India in the series only 46 at an average of 24.58. Um, probably the best thing for um, South Africa, Pearson, was uh, you know how young their players are. Gidi, uh, Rabat has been around for a few years, Olivier, Jansen. Um, you know, coming up against strong bowlers also, um, such as um, Shami and Bumrah, how, how did they better um, the Indian bowlers in the South African conditions? Well, I think the key thing, as you asked Navab, what's the key difference between the two sides? I saw a lot more fight from the South African batsmen that I didn't see from a lot of the Indians. I do think India probably, at least they're top six have more natural talent with the bat than a lot of the South Africans do. But what India lacks is a Dean Elgar style player, that player that can sit in and grit out an innings and get hit consistently, but continue to bat. And I thought their application in that was very, very impressive. I thought, I think they're actually producing a team well under Dean Elgar's tutelage in his image. I think we saw a bunch of players take hits for the side. I thought, Maybe Aiden Markham was the only player to not come out with a tick after that series from their top order. And that was arguably because he is too languid of a player, not dissimilar to the English, sorry, not to the English, to the Indian batsman. But I thought you look at someone like Rassi Vanderdussen, who battled through very well, someone like Temba Bavuma, who's not averse to some form of adversity in international cricket. He's been consistently mediocre till quite recently. And of course, the find of the series, Keegan Peterson. I thought what we saw from them was a greater ability to leave the ball. Whereas particularly if you highlight Coley, which I suspect we'll come to, he did have a tendency to want to feel bat on ball too much. I also think we saw a situation in which one side are not purely with their batting, but also with their bowling better suited to games on pitches of that nature, of a 200 place, 200 nature, where South Africa probably batted and bowled in a better manner than the Indians did. India builds pressure a lot through their bowling, particularly through bowlers like Mohamed Siraj or Mohamed Shami. But what you see from South Africa that often does them wrong, particularly when they lost 3-1 to England in South Africa, and I believe, 2-1 to the way to Sri Lanka, the VOD side, in 2019, it was, they were almost too aggressive for their own good with the ball at times. But I think the conditions suited them perfectly, and they played extremely well and fully deserved the win they got, but they then backed up in the white ball series, which I suspect will also come to. And yeah, I saw a, a stat um, saying that throughout the series, both Indian and South African bowlers had a pretty similar level of playing misses that they induced but South Africans managed to get more wickets um, from, from those good balls. Also notable that the South Africa were the first team to win a three-match series without scoring 250. Um, so it does show the, the level of the, the pitches was difficult to bat. Um, how much work do the pitches have to play in it? Um, we saw especially in the, the, the taller South African bowlers managing to get a lot of bounce. Um, you know, or was this a case of that South Africa playing the pitches better or was it sort of suited to um, their, their bowlers, Navod? Um, definitely, I think, yeah, the bowlers were much, the South African bowlers were much more, um, they reaped much more of the benefits from the South African pitches than the Indian bowlers. Again, yeah, the Indian bowlers, they just weren't, weren't really threatening. They didn't really take wickets at all. And um, I think that was, yeah, another key difference between the two. India just didn't look like they were going to take wickets. They were economical. And, you know, we all love to see Bumrah with his unusual but really effective bowling um, action. But, yeah, none of, none of them really took wickets. So I think, yeah, that was the main, that was another key difference between the two. And I think uh, South Africa definitely reaped the benefits of, that, of the bowling pitches much better than the Indian team. Yeah, I, I, would, I would add to that and mention the height, which I know Ted briefly passed over there. 
is a key differential is South African pitches, particularly when the par is around 200, are so difficult to bat on because of the uneven nature of the bounds. And as we saw with players like Mornay Morkel in prior decades, we've seen here with players like Rabada, well, all three of the, well, all four actually by the end once Marco Janssen announced himself, they are significantly taller than the Indians and aren't skiddy bowlers in the way someone like Jasper Bumra is. And that's, of course, very effective because when you have height and bounce, that lack of bounce on other balls can get into a batsman's head more. So I thought that was a very effective strategy. And I think that was, albeit not necessarily purposeful, one of the ways that South Africa did better tap into the conditions they were provided. Another thing was that pitchers were also not very friendly to Ravi Ashwin. He only picked up three wickets. Um, I'll ask questions a bit later about you know India going forward and what we can take away from this but just want to spend a little bit more on South Africa's performance Keegan Peterson um, is, was probably the, the find of, of the series a 62 in the second test and then a 72 and a match winning 82 um, in the final how good is he are we seeing the birth of one of the next great batsmen here Navod I think so he really impressed me um, just with how he played uh, shot selection. He didn't really have any false shots that you usually see with um, some, basically uh, the Indian top order that we're seeing now. Um, he was very much in control. I thought, yeah, he was really good. And I yeah, hope he keeps, keeps this trajectory going and uh, continues to succeed because he's really fun to watch. Yeah. Pearson, are you also a fan? Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't, maybe not the next great batsman. I don't think he's going to average 50 plus by the end of his career, but he is good enough that I wish he were English and could have signed a cold pack deal when we were still in the EU and we could have poached him from the South Africans, which for an English fan is quite a glowing endorsement. No, I thought he was very, very impressive. I thought he honestly at times didn't get the, the runs he deserved to get, particularly early on in the series. He would battle extremely well and then play a poor shot and go out. But I think what we saw was his character as he dealt with that and managed to shelve those poor shots as the series went on and hit rather impressive scores of 70 or 80. I think considering his age, I must admit I don't know for sure, but I do believe he is quite young and his relative inexperience on the, in the test match arena, I think he will only improve and could be one of their key batsmen for possibly the next decade, actually. Yeah, I was seriously impressed by him. I think adding to him, I think they now have a backbone of quite a strong batting order. I think Elgar is, albeit a bit old, a very good fighter. Markram is full of potential that he hasn't really realised, but if he does, will be very dangerous. Clearly, as we've just said, Keegan Peterson is excellent. Rassi van der Dussen has one of the best ODI averages of any player in history, so clearly can bat freely, but in this series was quite confined in his shot selection but I thought that showed again a good bit of fight though he is slightly old but again a useful batsman Temba Bavuma I thought you can't neglect his ability in this series I thought he was excellent I think this was probably his best test series in a South African shirt I've not seen him bat more comfortably he played some of the best matches some of the best innings of the series I thought he played a beautiful on drive from memory that a friend of ours on went on about for weeks, which shows how incredible the majesty of that shot was. Admittedly, they probably need to find a replacement for Quinton de Kock. Hopefully Kyle Verein does turn out to be that figure. But arguably winning a series in which your star player retires halfway through shows even more character from the side and how impressive it was. So I think if they can find a good keeper and possibly an all-rounder to bat six or seven, they could become a force again in Test cricket, as I think most people hope they will. Well, you preempted uh, my question there, Pierce, and I was going to ask about if they do have the pieces to sort of make a challenge and move up the the Test rankings. Uh, as you say, Elgar impressive with with a couple of fifties, Pavuma also. But I think that the big thing that stood out to me, um, albeit from the small amount of the series I, I did watch, but uh, even just in the field uh, and just in everything they did, you sensed a kind of uh, a determination and like as if they had kind of after all the the troubles of the past few years you know came together and really 
had a had a big focus on uh, performing better. Uh, in direct um, contrast to England, some of England's performances, um, perhaps uh, with the uh, had to get that dig in there with a, a lack of grit that they showed uh, this series. But um, Navad, um, do you think that they have have the pieces uh, to to um, to make a challenger of some of the top teams? Yeah, definitely. I think, um, yeah, the players that Pearson mentioned, so Keegan Peterson, uh, Rassi van der Dusen, I think they have a lot of potential, um, especially learning under Elgar, a player who just grits it out and stays there and slowly builds up his innings. I think he's a really good um, teacher for those kind of, well, sort of young players. Rassi's 30, I believe, and Keegan Peterson's, I think, 28. So not too old, but not too young either. So um, I think, yeah, they're, they're on the trajectory to do really well yeah yeah and grit is is definitely the, the key word for their performances over there this month now moving on to less happy things um india it, it's fair to say things fell apart a little bit uh would you agree with me there you had early on the, the kind of stalwarts of the team such as pajara and ahane struggling and then it was, the series was capped off with a, an explosive final test, uh, which ended with Kohli resigning as captain. Uh, what's going on with India? It's a huge fall from grace uh, for the team who won in Australia um, so triumphantly uh, last year. Well, I, I'll agree that it was... Sorry, sorry. <laughs> Don't worry about it. I'll agree that it was definitely a surprise that they did as poorly as they did and that they did do very, very poorly. Where I will disagree is that this was a bad thing. There are two sides, Australia and India, that I love to see fail. And, well, Australia didn't, but India did, so I was quite happy with that. So I'm not unopposed to it. But, yes, there has clearly been a change of some sort. I think we actually saw a few times South Africa got into the Indian players' heads. Now, there was, of course, that very high-intensity battle between... Marco Janssen and Jasper Bumrah that captured a lot of eyes from onlookers, which was a very interesting one. Of course, we saw the same thing in a battle between van der Dussen and Richard Punt the game before, when Punt was told by van der Dussen that you should be attacking and taking the game away from us. So he played a ridiculous shot and got caught in the deep, which I thought was a fascinating little period, actually, in which they managed that. So I think what we did see was Indians perhaps haven't stacked up as well as they would have liked against a side that were really at them. I think this England side that they played six months ago were quite weak. I don't think they were high on confidence. I think they'd already played India at home and lost. So I don't think they were particularly ready to have a go at the opposition. I think we actually saw the same thing with Australia. Going back to a point I love to make in the Ashes Central podcast that Australia are mentally weak. I think we have seen post Sandpaper Gate a much quieter, less abusive Australia side. I think if there's one thing to take into the future, it is that possibly taking the game to India, not just on the pitch, but also verbally in the way you approach your cricket, being aggressive in your style, almost acting as Coley does when he captains, could actually work against them. I think that's the key argument besides a raw skills-based assessment of how they've gone. It was, it was almost like watching some early 2000s games, the level of aggression that's there. Right. That's, that's why I think the series was so good, is there was just that there was that extra tension. I know we approached it in the Ashes podcast we did. England-Australia, the Ashes, was a bit nice at times. There was certainly no love lost between India and South Africa, and I thought that was great. And I think it actually helped South Africa more than it helped India. Well, just on India also, it was a big difference um, how Australia treated them when they came here last summer. Uh, you know, you had Tim Payne behind the stumps, uh, you know, talking about babysitting or, or something like this. Not exactly something that's going to get in your head too much. Um, but, uh, yeah, Tim Payne, long gone. Um, Navad, uh, would you, do you buy into this, that, you know, they kind of lost the, the mental battle a little bit, India, that... Uh, they got a bit overwrought, especially so in the last game, which I'm sure we'll get to. Yeah, definitely. I have to agree with Pearson on this. Um, and again, it brings you back to the sort of cricket fatigue idea that I have. They've played so much cricket. And I think 
they just they weren't as mentally strong as South Africa. So you know you've got Rashad Park chirping behind the wicket. We all know how he is behind the wicket. He's a very um, active, very verbal player, but it didn't affect the South Africans at all. But as soon as you know all the South African players started talking back to India, it's like they it's like childhood bullies. They couldn't handle the pressure. I think, and I think they just because of that they just crumbled. And I, I think South Africa definitely handled all the pressure with you know players. Uh, retiring all this drama beforehand um, I think they managed it excellently uh, far better than uh, India did I love it you, you've heard it first on uh, Cricket Central India childhood bully, bullies uh, I think that's a, a, good dis- <laughs> a good description of them just there um, moving on to more specifics of, of their players uh, are there issues with their squad um, we spoke about Pajara and Rahane uh, their bowlers, Ashwin only getting three wickets and, you know, the bowlers in general struggling a little bit to take wickets. Um, are there some questions over their squad? Do they need to make a few changes? Uh, Navod, start with you on this one. Oh, I don't know. There's a lot of lot of potential in this current squad. Uh, we've seen how they played against Australia and against England, both at home uh, and in England. So it's it's tough to say. I think... They've just got to, as I said a bit earlier, they should just take a break, just sort of reset and figure out a few things because they've definitely got the potential there. Um, maybe potentially look at uh, fixing up that top order, maybe. I think the bowlers, uh, yeah, maybe looking at the IPL pool. There's a IPL's a great tournament and there's a lot of potential and um, talent there, definitely. But um, yeah, I think mainly it's just India's got to look back, reflect, um, and just try and improve what they already can do. They, they've shown that multiple times that, you know, they're excellent bowlers, uh, Ashwin especially, such a great spin bowler, um, probably one of the best test spinners we have, like there is right now. Um, but, yeah, they've just got to take a step back and reflect and try and just go back to the basics that they were doing um, a few months ago against England. Yeah, they're definitely not the first team to go to South Africa. Um, and struggle in that way, especially with the mental game. Uh, I think back in horror to the, the infamous Australian tour there where things fell apart for Australian cricket. But um, Pearson, do you think anything needs to change in terms of, of, their, of their lineup? You know, there's a lot of talk about, uh, I'm wanting Navod to say something, but Pajara and Rahane, their record has been quite poor recently. Um, surely some changes need to be made. Well, I, I know Navod, for most of his answers so far, this podcast has said yes, definitely, or yeah, definitely, to pretty much every suggestion I've put <laughs> out. And I'm bored of agreeing with Navod, so I'm going to dispute him on this one. I think, although I actually do, I'll start where I agree. I think he's right. Their bowling attack is still strong. I think Siraj, Bumra and Shami are still one of the world's leading seam bowling trios. And I don't think there's a great deal of rivals to Ashwin and Jadeja as a spin bowling duo in Test Nations. So, and I do think, actually, to add to that, I think Jadeja was quite a big loss this series, as he, of course, played no tests or ODIs, which they lost 3-0 in a quite dramatic whitewash. Where I think changes do have to come is probably in their top order. I think Coley is pretty much undroppable. But we have seen in recent years, his form has gotten worse and worse. I think an interesting point to make is everyone likes to go on about how Coley is this batsman that bats off his ego. And at times it's been proved that that actually wasn't the case. I think in 2018 and 2019, when he churned out runs against England and Australia, he proved that he was able to leave the ball well. And I think that's what served him so well. It's worth noting in 2019, the average line of dismissal against Virat Kohli was middle stump. You look at how that's progressed over the years. In 2020, it was nine centimetres outside off stump. And in 2021, it's been 26 centimetres outside off stump, his average line of dismissal against pace bowling. That, that's roughly equivalent to sixth or seventh stump. Three years ago, when he averaged 50, he wasn't playing those shots. Now, of course, you can't go to Virat Kohli and say, yes, let's drop him. I think that would be a terrible reactionary decision. But I do think there is some degree to which he has to improve the way he is playing at the minute. I think the two players you can drop are Pujara and Rahane. 
What India have proven over a sustained period is they don't lack opening batsmen. We've seen KL Rahul, Rohit Sharma, Shubman Gill, and most recently Mayank Agarwal all score runs at the top of the order. I think we'll definitely see Rahul and Sharma play opening together for the extended future. However, I do think either of the two backups, Gill and Agarwal, probably deserve that number three spot over Chiteshwar Pujara. It is worth noting Pajara, Kohli and Rahane since December 2019 have scored less runs than Joe Root has on his own. Joe Root has scored 2,200 runs at 54. Pajara, Kohli and Rahane have scored 2,200 runs at only 25. That's not good enough for a side that hopes to be the best in the world. Considering how well they perform without them scoring runs suggests they could be far and away the best side if they could find a better middle order. I think we've seen Pajara score crucial runs in Australia on Australian pitches and they are pitches where the ball doesn't do a great deal and flat batting works for extended periods of time he's never had a similar record in South Africa where pass balls are so low or in England where the ball moves to such a significant degree so I think he's definitely the first person to go I think Rahane probably joins him arguably Rahane is more droppable than Pajara he averages less since his great hundred and captaincy stint in Australia in about a year ago from now, he hasn't really done enough to justify his selection. And I think, again, you look at them, they have significantly better middle order batsmen. They've of course had, when he missed a game due to injury, they had Shreyas Iyer come in and hit a hundred and a 50 on his debut. And then of course they have the most dominant domestic batsman they've had in a long time in Hanuma Vahari. So they clearly have players that deserve to take those spots. And I think they are the two that have to be changed. I think their bowling attack, their openers, and Rishabh Pant, despite the occasional brain fade, do probably warrant selection in all cases, along with Kohli. So it's, it's, a, it's a team that doesn't need great change, but change, when it is eventually made, could be critical to their your fortunes going forward. I think yeah, maybe... Right. Um... Oh, yeah. Scott Boland. Like, I like Scott Boland's the MCG specialist. We can see Pajara as the uh, Australia specialist, perhaps. <laughs> so that might be in store for India. It, it's an interesting point to bring up. England, of course, have a similar thing in which England's two best openers over a sustained period have actually probably been, well, until there's Ashes, Hasib Hamid and Keaton Jennings, both of whom are opening batsmen that are better at playing spin than they are pace bowling. So there is a reasonable chance to say but we are reaching this era in sides that have a lot of depth in talent in probably India, Australia and England, the big three, that they could actually go into not only bowling specialization, where you pick a specialist spinner in India, you wouldn't pick elsewhere. We could go into this era of batting specialization. We have Pajara not playing on low scoring pitches where it moves or Keaton Jennings only playing in Asia. That could become something we approach down the line, but that's up to individual selectors and whether they think that's a worthwhile idea. Yeah, I'm not sure the players would be too happy with that one, but it's definitely an interesting idea there. You, you did it with Kawasha back in the day, actually, didn't you? Is you used to think he was, well, and that arguably shows the pitfalls of the system, is you thought he was an Australia-only batsman for a long time. Then he finally got a gig when half of your squad got banned after Sandpaper Gate, and he scored a crucial match-saving 100 in the UAE that's now made in the first choice opening batsman in Asia. So it is, it's a tough one. It's a case of, as you say, disappointing the players and short-term versus long-term games you can gain from such a thing. But it is, it's a tough question to answer, I think. Yeah, I could see it happening with older players, but with younger players, you wouldn't yeah. want to pigeonhole them into, you know, several, yeah, as you say, with Kawaja for that. Um, talking about changes uh, in the Indian test team, the big change coming out of the series was Virat Kohli, um, well, resigning, getting sacked, whoever, whoever you want to see it, we'll see what happens there. But um, firstly, just kind of what many people think was the impetus maybe for um, his resignation, uh, more drama in Cape Town as there seems to be every series. Um, just to summarise, a questionable LBW decision was given um, and that prompted Coley to yell into the stump mic um, that Supersport, you know, <laughs> what did he say exactly? Uh, 
you know, look at your own team. I think, yeah, he said, he said Super... Well, he claimed that Super Sport were rigging the DRS decisions yeah. to go against India. Super Sport in the TV stuff. coverage uh, in South Africa. Yeah. Uh, for those of you who don't know, but it was quite entertaining at, at the moment. Um, but, yeah, just a few days later, he resigns. First off, Navod, did this have anything to do with it? I want you to say yes, but I think you might say no. <laughs> I, again, another conspiracy theory for me. I, I think, um, you know, he lost the T20 captaincy or he resigned from T20 captaincy um, a few months ago during the IPL, then lost the ODI captaincy and I think resigned, I'll say resigned in quotation marks, from the test captaincy. So I think the board has definitely got something to do, something to play there. Um, maybe he was a bit frustrated. You know, that's why he spoke in the stump mic. Uh, I don't know. It's a bit ridiculous. Again, like similar to the BBL thing, I thought it was a bit, a bit dodgy, a bit, you know, against the spirit of the game, especially in test cricket, this. Um, but I don't know. It's, I, I think it's more to do with the boards and just his frustration sort of got out there, I think. And he sort of did something a bit silly, but yeah. Yes, and I liked uh, his, well, what I'll take as support for the Australians um, there a few years ago with Sandpaper Gate uh, when he said, you know, look at your own team with the ball or something like that. Very cryptic, hard to understand. But I'm taking that that he's, you know, suggesting that South Africa are the real culprits in terms of ball tampering. Uh, what are your views on this whole matter? Really, it was a weird outburst. I mean, clearly the pressure of a series that everyone expected them to win, they then didn't have gotten to. And of course, he wasn't the only one. They then had Kea Rahul walk past the stumps and yell, it's a whole country against 11 players. So clearly the entire Indian side were disgruntled. I think in some ways it was actually quite an achievement that Kohli escaped without getting a ban for that. Because we have seen in South Africa in recent years a lot of bans coming out of Cape Town tests. Because had Sandpaper Gate, yeah. In a not dissimilar incident, we had Kisa Rabada celebrate too aggressively after taking the wicket of, I believe, Joe Root, which got yeah. him banned for an extra game. Granted, that was also due to the accumulation of demerit points, but there there is a fair claim to say that Coley was treated disproportionately nicely by the ICC in that result. But I think. It was an outburst that pressure got to him. I don't think it had any great say on whether he stepped down. I think there are some questions to be asked as to how he's managed to resign from his IPL captaincy and all three formats of India and none at the same time, yet all within six months. I think there is something odd going on there. Whether that's him, whether that's the board, I'm not sure. I know that RCB actually said not long ago, maybe a week ago, that their hope is still that Coley will come back and say, yes, I will captain. So that does seem to be his decision. How much the board plays in the, the BCCI, I should say, plays in the decision of him stepping down from the white ball and red ball captaincy is to be confirmed. But it certainly leaves a captaincy vacuum in this Indian squad with no air apparent, which I suspect we'll discuss in a moment. Yes, yeah, we'll get to who it could be. But um, to... To argue for it just being a natural decision by Coley to step down, could you perhaps say that, you know, there's some signs that perhaps the, the captaincy was getting too much for him? You speak about playing at balls that he didn't really have to and getting out on, on fourth and fifth stump, very uncharacteristic um, for the for the Coley of old, only averaged 28.21 this year. You know, could this be a chance of Coley just resetting, focusing only on his own personal performances? Navod, what do you think about that idea? Uh, yeah, I think that's a big thing for Coley. He's, we know how good of a player he is from his 2018-2019 form. Um, yeah, I think he's just got to step back. Now, without the responsibility of captaincy, I think possibly we could see some, uh, you know, re... How do I word this? <laughs> Return reset. to form, I guess. Yeah, yeah like a reset to form. Yeah, um, yeah. I guess, yeah, he's just got to, now that he doesn't have the responsibility of captaincy, he can just take a step back and sort of just focus on his own. So I think hopefully we'll see uh, a regain in his form. He's, again, like most of the India side, he's quite old. We're getting older now. So he's only got a few more years left. So hopefully he can, without this captaincy, take a bit of a break, a uh, bit of a pressure off his shoulder, I guess. Um, and yeah, sort of rebuild what he had. 
Yeah, and Pearson? Yeah, I'm not sure about this. I think he's coming off the back of his last two series prior to South Africa, winning away in Australia and winning away in England. And, well, and at home to New Zealand, but winning at home is pretty much a given. But it is worth noting, he beat the only three sides close to India in the Test World Rankings back to back to back in a year. That to me, and two of the three were away from home in places that he historically does not win Test Series. So I don't think there's a great deal to say that his results suggested he should take a step back. I think possibly we've seen some of the flaws in Indian cricket come out in that South Africa series. There is an argument to be made that they are now in decline at some level, but I don't think that had much of a role. I also think he is a batsman, unlike someone like Joe Root, that actually improves his batting and feeds off the captaincy. I think, as I said before, he is quite an egotistical person. He does, he bats with an ego. And I think that does actually reflect in his batting when they are winning, he is batting exceptionally well. When they are losing, he often struggles. And I think there is something to that. I think he likes to feel that level of control. He likes to be that key figure. He is, of course, one of the most, I don't know, one of the most widely known cricketers and most popular cricketers to ever live. And I think he enjoys that status. So I don't think it's solely a case of him wanting to go away and improve his batting. Because, of course, his best year is batting also came while he was captain from about 2016 to 2019. So it's, it's a tough one to say. I think there's something going on there. Maybe he did step away for his own reasons. But I think if he's, step, if he's been asked to step away from two of the three formats and he's chosen to go himself in the third, it shows a weird decision from him. And I don't think it's going to have any long-term improvements on his batting. If he is to improve his batting, it won't be the captaincy that did it. It'll be solving any technical issues that he has with playing balls outside off stump and the placement of his back foot towards cover rather than point. And you would think that that's something that you could fix uh, as, you know, one of the best yeah, players exactly. to play. I, I, I think he can. I think he can become a great batsman again. I actually think he has a better chance of going oh, back no. to average consistently than Steve Smith does, as I've said before. <laughs> Okay. suspect is what precipitated the oh no then but i think i don't think the captaincy has a great role in whether he's able to do that but there is as, as you said i think there is some merit to the point that he doesn't have to worry about strategy the whole time he's not obligated to watch his side the whole time he can go off and have a net session and even stuff like press duties he doesn't have to prepare for those anymore and he can possibly spend extra time practicing whether that has a great impact i doubt but you never know. It could do. I think uh, Pearson makes a good point on uh, Coley's sort of egotistically driven batting performance. I think maybe, like you said, those issues are pretty simple to fix, right? The footing, uh, the back foot facing the right way. But maybe because as soon as India start losing quick wickets and they're in a position to lose, maybe his brain just sort of panics and um, he sort of reverts back to his sort of bad form and then goes out cheaply. I think that might be a reason why. So good point there, Pearson. Oh, thank you. Settle, settle down. He doesn't need those sort of plaudits. Uh, I mean, I'm enjoying this. I want to vote on more often. He's far more complimentary than particularly Vass and yourself are. So I, I'll take the plaudits he's providing me. This is unbelievable. Anyway, talking about uh, the captaincy, um, who are who are the favourites? Obviously, Rohit Sharma, the new One Day and T Twenty captain. Um, besides going against uh, having all three formats with the same captain now, um, do you think it could be him or will it be someone else, Navod? Uh, yeah, I think Rohit Sharma is a really good uh, selection for ODI and T Twenty captain. Um, he's got a lot of experience winning games as captain in the IPL for the Mumbai Indians. So I think he should be a good choice. Um, but as I mentioned, uh, like most of the players, he's quite old. He's 34 now. So as a long-term replacement, I don't think, because of his age, I don't think he'll be able to stay in uh, for too long, uh, for much longer. Because while he's a good captain and he's shown that in the IPL, he's a bit old now and eventually he'll have to retire. So once that happens, um, I think India will probably have to look for someone else as a captain um, in tests, I think Kale Rahul for now in tests is a good um, is a good choice. 
has a lot of experience. But um, yeah, then as, as I mentioned again, he's quite old as well, as is most of the Indian team. So I think when he retires, I think Pant should get the job. It's a bit controversial as a wicketkeeper and a captain as well. Um, but we've seen Pat Cummins do such a good job as a bowler captain. So I say, why not move the times forward, have a wicketkeeper captain? I see. And uh, Pearson, uh, do you agree with those ones? I'll, I'll, I'll ask. I want clarification from the VOD here. So they, they play their next test in a couple of months, I think against Sri Lanka, actually. Who would you like to see as their captain in that game? Is it Sharma or is it Rahul? Um, name is all ooh, that's mean. a good... You've given uh, your I message. Think Which if one I are you... To, if, if Sri Lanka wants to win, I'd probably say Rahane or something. <laughs> <laughs> but... Um, in the interest of India, I'd probably say KL Rahul as captain for Tess in the near future. Yeah, okay. I'll, 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 well, I, I, I don't, again, it's happened a few times this podcast. I don't have a clear answer on this one. I don't think there is any obvious choice. There is no, in the same way there was, but when Kohli came in to succeed Dhoni, it was for a couple of years at that point, he was heir apparent to the captaincy. I don't think there is at this point in time any heir apparent to Coley's throne. I don't think anyone will mimic Coley's personality. And I don't think anyone has all the attributes that Coley did when he took the job. I think, as Navod says, age is a key factor. I think we've seen Sharma is very good and probably the best captain of the players likely to get picked. But he turns 35 before they play another test match which to me suggests he'd be unlikely to play beyond the 2023 World Cup in India, I think will be probably the time he retires. I think you look at, uh, let's have a look at the other, well, their best captain, to be honest, is probably a Jinkir Rahane. The difficulty they've got is, despite him being their best captain, he probably doesn't make the side on merit. Whether India can afford to pick a side in which they have a specialist captain as England did in the past with Mike Greeley, arguably our best ever captain. And in some ways, some would say Owen Morgan right now is there as a specialist captain and probably not one of our six best white ball batsmen. So I do think there's an argument for Hane, but I don't think they will go that way. India generally try to pick their best 11 and the captaincy comes next, which really only leaves, at least among the senior players, KL Rahul. He's a little bit younger, so he probably suits it better than the others but I also think he doesn't have the presence he captained in the South Africa series in both red and white ball and I wasn't particularly impressed in any situation I didn't feel he had the ability to really motivate his team I think he exudes not just to Joe Root actually I think he exudes nervousness when he's there and I don't think that's a great attribute to have as a captain is he a great batsman? Yes. I don't think he's a great captain. I think we saw the same thing with his IPL side, which I think with Kings Eleven Punjab, who have now actually gotten rid of him and refused to re-sign him. And he's now captain of a new French. I think look now he's now French. He's now captain of. But I think he is probably the likely option. I think they will go for KL Rahul. I think their best option is probably Rohit Sharma, all things considered. So if I'm India, I'm probably looking at Rohit Sharma. But I'm not looking at Rohit Sharma as this captain that can guide me till 2030. I'm looking at him as captain in probably all three formats till 2023. And then I would consider someone like a Rishabh Pant. I'm still not convinced by him, but there's so much that people are saying in his favour. It makes me think if he does mature as a player in the next couple of years, he does become an option. Possibly he only takes on the white ball job. Possibly he only takes on the red ball job. But I think he will be an eventual captain. So Rohit Sharma is the immediate captain for me, even if in an interim role. And just quickly, you talk about the personality of the captain. Do you think that in the long term, they're looking for a Coley 2.0, really, in terms of the aggression he brings? Someone perhaps part um, would expect him to be more similar to that than, than someone like Kale Rahul. Or do you think this is a chance for them to go in a slightly different direction, a slightly less controversial um, direction? What way do you think they'll go going forward, Navod? Um, I think to have a character like Coley is, is a big ask because he's, he's such a presence on the field. Um, yeah, he's a really aggressive character. And I think to have someone like that, I think Pant is 
probably close just because of how much he's actively encouraging the bowlers um, every ball, you know, chatting, trying to get in the batsman's head. I think he's probably the closest, I'd say. Um, look, it's it's up to India what they're sort of, what path they want to take. I think the aggression that Kohli had definitely helped them early on. But I think, as we saw in the South Africa test, more teams have become resilient to it um, and, you know, sort of just blocked it out and haven't really, um, you know, it hasn't really affected them. So mm. maybe it's a good idea, but, you know, India might consider a different option in where they take a more strategic captain that's not as, like, they don't have much of a presence on the field, but um, they still have sort of the strategic mind to get beneath, get under the skin of the uh, enemy uh, indirectly, if I, if I put it like that, yeah. Yeah. Well, this uh, podcast is rapidly becoming longer than most of Rahane's innings <laughs> at the moment, so <laughs> we should probably wrap it up soon. But just a final question. I didn't realise that the age of India's team was getting so old. Do we have some stats here on their players at average age? Or so? yeah, I, 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 have a, I have a few on me just to run with. Granted, this is after the white ball series. There are a couple white ball players feet. And I don't know the age of Rahane, so you might want to... Sorry, not Rahane, of Kale Rahul. So you might want to check that just for confirmation. But the key figures, you have Rohit Sharma is now 34. Virat Kohli is 33. Shikhar Dawan, who is 36, is only just about clinging on to a spot in the white ball side to play in the World Cup when he's 38. Uh, Pujara is 33, as is Rahane. Ashwin is 35, so the idea that he could captain is probably out of the window from that, unless you really went for a short-term interim. And even Jadeja, who is considered to have quite a few years at him, is 32. So they don't have a particularly young side. They do have some young players. Their bowling, their pace attack, at least, is fairly young. I know Siraj is fairly new to the scene, as is Bumrah. But yeah, a lot of their batting is quite aged i think they have ample replacements to come in and do a good job but whether the combination of their age and this captaincy issue will actually lead to some form of downfall in indian cricket it's not inexplicable that it could and i'll be interested to see whether they can cope with whatever their new captain manages over the next 12 months wow big words there but uh, it's definitely a big change from the you know the commanding presence that Coley has had for many years now Okay, well, I think that does wrap things up. I think big takeaways from this very entertaining series where South Africa played inspired cricket um, with some young players coming through, hope for the future, and India struggled in the South African conditions um, with an ageing team, but potentially, you know, not don't have to uh, sound the alarm too much yet. Uh, they've still definitely got the talent there. Is that about right, guys? Yeah, I yeah, think so, yeah. yeah. Okay, well, thank you yeah, both for coming They're on. not in an England position of being bad. No. They're just not as good as they probably should be, I think is the main issue. And they could get worse more likely than they will get better. I think that's the big concern. A lot of questions going forward. That's for sure. Thank you for coming on, Navad. That was uh, yeah, very no helpful having you here. Yeah, yes. I thoroughly enjoyed my time here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no, we'll definitely have you back on uh, in future episodes and thank you all for listening to the first well kind of the first episode um, of the new format here where we look through all the big stories from the world of cricket okay thank you all and goodbye